hate you both. I've hated you ever since I can remember. I hate you, and I wish you both had cancer. Cancer? Yes, in the head. <laughs> I'm as tired as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore. Pay no attention to that man behind the curtain. Are you telling me you built a time machine? Like somebody's got a case of the Mondays. <laughs> October 22nd, and welcome to the Stupid Cancer Show, the voice of young adult cancer. My name is Matthew Zachary, and I am a 16-year young adult survivor of pediatric brain cancer. And my name is Kenny Kane, co-founder of Stupid Cancer, and we are your hosts for the Stupid Cancer Show. All right, it's not okay that okay. 72,000 young adults are diagnosed with cancer each and every year, so got cancer under 40? Sucks, huh? Time to get busy living, folks, because the Stupid Cancer Show is changing the world one chemo infusion at a time. And tonight's show, the lovely and talented Academy-winning uh, actor Maura Tierney uh, will be on the show. She's a spokesperson for the Chemo Myths or Facts campaign and a recent breast cancer survivor. Uh, we have our friends from Breast Cancer Action on the call later tonight. Angela Wall, Communications Manager, Annie Sartor, Policy and Communications Coordinator, and Caitlin Carmody, the Membership Coordinator, all at Breast Cancer Action. And kicking it off in the spotlight, young adult survivor of breast cancer, it's still October, uh, Annie Goodman is in the house. The Stupid Cancer Show is a production of Stupid Cancer, online at stupidcancer.org, the largest support community for young adult cancer movement. Thank you, Kenny. So welcome aboard another fun and exciting rock to the hay. On tonight's Stupid Cancer Show, where remission is not a cure, and survivorship is all that matters. And a stupid cancer welcome to any and all of our first-time listeners here on the Blog Talk Radio Network and on iTunes as we broadcast live from the Chemo Deck, our fabulous studio in New York City. And with that, our self-ingratiating applause, oh, yeah. as per. And we're welcoming into the studio, Maddie Beckett is back. Welcome, Matt Beckett. Hey, everyone. Tame and Kim is back in action. Hello. After a brief respite. Wait, what, was it Robitussin, Tylenol, uh, Theraflu? What what solved it for you? Uh, Tylenol works for me. Okay. Yeah, I was in the bed for a week. Oh, in the bed for a whole week, huh? Yeah. Oh, Kenny might call that Thursday. Yes. That's, uh, <laughs> no, that's Friday after Thursday. Yeah. And we're in the house waving from back on the radio. Stefan Sander, a new transplant from Berlin. Did you drag him back here from Europe? I did. I did. He uh, he came here just for the show. Wow. That's impressive. He's going back to Europe tomorrow, huh? No. Okay, no, he's, he's a permanent. He's, he's, he's denying a newly permanent resident of uh, of this office, the New York City area. Are you not like uh, subsequently the office? Are you busking on the streets now? <laughs> anyway, welcome aboard. Thanks for being in the audience tonight. Uh, hello, Kenny. How are you? 
I am actually much less tired than you. Yes. Should we should we first remind people why there's a a, a missing voice this evening? Well, yeah. We we regret that Lisa Bernhard uh, was uh, she resigned under good terms. She's going on moving on for the better things. But after 140 shows in two and a half years, it was just time. She was wonderful. We love her. We miss her. We miss her. And uh, it won't be the same without having uh, female body parts that I'm staring at. Oh, jeez. <laughs> that, that is that's not okay. That's not okay. That's definitely not. But okay. you know, most people that know Kenny Kane, uh, we are technically calling you co-founder of Stupid Cancer now. I guess technically you are. Well, yeah, because in theory, like I built and I founded the I'm Too Young for This Cancer Foundation in 2007 to 2009, 2010, and then you came along during the rebrand. And I gave you some cultural relevance. Yes, you did, and and you helped me build the Stupid Cancer brand from the not the ashes of, but more of the Phoenix 2.0 risings of the right, I'm right. Too Young for This Cancer Foundation. But most people do not know. That you have history in radio, I do. I do. My friends and I had a, a show in college that we did. So, was it anything like this show? Uh, it, it is not. <laughs> it was. Uh, it was more along the lines of my my Thursday night, Friday morning in bed. Got it. Understood. So, Fantastic. It's a. Uh, it's good to be back in the hot seat. No, well, it's good to have you. It's good to have you uh, sitting over there. I could stare at your redhead. Anyway, so, so yes, I am. I am much more tired than you because I was up at 1 a.m. Eastern time, and I was up at 6 a.m. Greenwich Mean Time. Thank you for that. <laughs> yeah. And what were you doing in Greenwich Mean Time? I had just attended. Well, I, I I traveled last Wednesday night. Arrived in London on Thursday morning for a Siemens event uh, for breast cancer awareness, which is what we're talking about this month. It was uh, the Turn Your City Pink event. It was a nation, not nationwide, we're nationwide. It was a global event in which they sent an ambassador to, I want to say like 20, 25 countries over the last couple of months, and they turned the city pink. Uh, so they brought a, you know, people out all around the country. I keep saying national things because my mind is, is broken. <laughs> they brought people out all around the world to uh, bring awareness to breast cancer. So it was a great event. We and had, it's by Siemens. Correct, which is a major, major company. They're a big deal. Yes. yes. Global, and, and I read in one of your emails that you sat next to the global director of communications for I all did. of Siemens. The, the, uh, the health communications. Health. So no one important. No, no, not at all. <laughs> he was quite taken by stupid cancer, and I was surrounded by a room full of really smart, really important people from all over the country. Why do I keep doing this? All over the world. Yes, you are global now. Yes from all over the world who are uh, influential in social media, specifically breast cancer. Right. And our friend Andrew Shore from uh, pa- Patient uh, Power. Patient Power, yeah, yeah. And Good man. He's now living in Barcelona, Spain. I don't know if you know this. It's a rough life. It's a rough life. He wanted his son to have an international experience, so him and his wife and his son, they have two other kids who right. are, uh, I think, one's 24, 25, right. and the other one's in college. They pretty much just left them here in the nicest way possible <laughs> and went to Barcelona, Spain. So he was all well-rested. He showed right. up on, I think, Thursday or Friday, and he was, you know, psyched to see me. So I was And who else was there? What was the general gist of why you were all gathered? What was the conversation We were gathered like? there because Siemens wanted our opinion on their campaign. So we were liaising with their ad agency. I don't know what the, the equivalent is for Europe, what, you know, the responsibility of of that individual, right. um, a gentleman by the name of Ingo, and he, they were just, you know, saying, what do you guys think of our campaign? Just tapping what, what your brain kind exactly, of stuff? yeah. What could they do better? And uh, quite frankly, it was a great campaign. And we were, the event took place, it was a, 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 an, a meeting, and then it was a dinner and a tour of this new building uh, called The Crystal, 
I saw is, the pictures. It, it looks yeah, like it, a, the Guggenheim in yeah, like, it's, it's, yeah. It looks like a transformer. Yeah, it does. Uh, go to the crystal.org. Right. And you can see pictures of this building. It's incredible. It, it, it's a demo of sustainable cities with New York City being like the first one they showed in the shock and awe video that they play when you walk in. That's amazing. They show like New York City subways with just... Well, your your trip is relevant to tonight's show because it's about the abuse of pink. But it sounds like they did a really good job. Yes, yes, uh, they were they were late adopters to the to the pink movement, uh, self admittedly, and which is why they brought us over. And one of the things we discussed in the meeting was the the backlash of pink, right. specifically in the United States, which may not be as prevalent in Europe, but still interesting. Right. Well, we are a capitalist culture. Yes, Europe is kind of laid back and drunk at the time. Yes, aren't they? I, I learned a lot about Europe this weekend. I would hope so. You were there for five I, days. I was there for five days. So. <laughs> I saw you found Islip. I did. I, there's two Islips. One is my hometown. In Long Island? In Long, in Long Island. Long Island. Which everyone found hysterical when I introduced myself. Right. And then the other one is in Oxfordshire, which is about 10, 15 minutes from Oxford University. Right. So I guess if you live in the other Islip, you would travel to Oxford to do your shopping because the other Islip is like a two-pub town and a church. Right. I saw those pictures. There's 600 people that live in it. It's amazing. Yeah, it's quite a small town. The opposite of Long Island, Iceland. Correct. Yes, exactly. Correct. It was it was quite interesting. A great trip. I met up with two friends, who I you know you meet people through the the internet, the ways right. that we all connect, and it the was, tubes. Exactly. <laughs> well, not not to be confused with the underground. The underground, right? No, but it was great to connect with them in person. So awesome. I had professional tour guides. I was uh, while you were abroad. I was in Austin, you, you were Texas. In, yeah, my, one of my favorite cities. Yeah, well, I met up with all your BFFs who were like, why is Kenny in London? Right. We met up with our advocate partners, Matt Firstler from Single Jingles, Rebecca Nellis from Cancer and Careers, Joanna Morales from Navigating Cancer Survivorship, Sharon Franz from the National Coalition of Oncology and Nurse Navigators, nearly all the staff of Livestrong, uh, Tom Kane from Sea Change. Um, How is Tom? Tom is doing well. Tom is doing really well. I, met, I don't care about up, the other people I do. <laughs> And uh, God, who else would be Brian Garofalo, who I used to know from Amgen, and just like it was like kind of like the the the, the Breakfast Club, yes. like all the old school people were there. It was really quite amazing to ha- to have them there. Oh, and Kathleen Law from Entertainment Industry Foundation. People Stanford were texting me, and I was like, Oh, I'm jealous. You guys are all hanging out, and they're like, You're not jealous. You're not jealous. <laughs> no, you're not jealous at all. You're not allowed to be jealous. Well, anyway, I was there for the Rev Forum, which was a, a Genentech Livestrong sponsored TED type of event. And the highlight for me was I got to see Siddhartha Mukherjee, author of The Emperor of All Maladies. I saw that your Facebook status was that it was a very moving. He, I, I self-admittedly have not read the book. I read the clip notes and I read all the book reviews about it. I have not read the book. But having seen his presentation, which was only like 30 minutes long, but it felt like an hour in a good way because you're just absorbing so much information and knowledge. I was, I'm gonna, I mean, A, I'm going to read the book now, but at the, at the end of the day, he is such a dynamic human being on stage. You just... He gets on stage and you're fixated at every word that he says, and that doesn't really happen much to me, you know, because I have ADHD and I can't pay attention to anything. Comments. Yes, okay. No, I was going to say it doesn't happen to you because you're not compelling and moving. And I, I mean, as a speaker. No, I'm not. So this is a slight I, answer. I, I put people to sleep when you I speak. Do. I do. Anyway. So, anyway, so it was a really great event, and this weekend we had a good representation in Chicago at the FICA Thyroid Cancer Alliance Conference. To Colleen uh, O'Neill represented the soup cancer. And, uh, I mean, we don't have to belabor the issues with Lance Armstrong that's going yeah, I, on, but I'm sure I, we'll... we'll so you, you didn't read that guy's book. I didn't really read any of the Lance articles that came out of the It's going to come week. up today. I mean, it's not pink, it's yellow. and this, It's amazing to see the bifurcation of people's attitudes towards this 
um, whether they've had cancer or not. Our, our own blogger, Emily um, Cousins, put out a great blog post of a, a cancer survivor's take on the downfall of Lance Armstrong and what it means. It, it's hard to take a middle ground on, on both issues combined. It's easy to say, I don't care about his cycling, but I care about his cancer advocacy, or it's easy to say, I care that he doped and, and you know that makes his cancer advocacy irrelevant. That's it's like like those are the two parallels. Well, I mean, I'm a cancer survivor. I run a nonprofit, but from my perspective, I'm the least athletic person on the planet. And I don't care about sports, yeah. so it doesn't surprise me that he cheated. I my concern really is over: will there be significant reputational tarnishment to the actual charity that has literally paved the way for organizations like Stupid Cancer to exist by destigmatizing cancer, making it a public discourse, and building standards of care and best practices? And it's a shame that people can't differentiate the two. Well, I mean, there's going to be a lot of it. I, actually, I'm publishing a piece on Huffington Post tomorrow called uh, Nonprofit 2.0, Love Your Haters, similar to that piece that you introduced me to yeah. the other day. You know, how you're, oh, any charity is going to go through its ups and downs, and the public's going to respond in different ways. And you just have to realize that if you're mission-specific, mission-focused, you just have to deal with it. And as long as you know personally in your heart that you get up every day and you're making a difference, Yes, we're not taking money from big tobacco, but at the end of the day, we are impacting the lives of thousands of people every single day for realsies. You know, it's not like we're just making this up. Right. Anyway, let's get to our first guest. She's been very patient waiting here in the wings. But uh, I first met you, were you at OMG 2013? Uh, no, I was at the OMG. On Gala? Oh, East, East. Um, anyway, Annie Goodman is a stage 2 triple negative breast cancer survivor who managed treatment with Abitain and the Yankees. Let's hear all about that. Please welcome to the Stupid Cancer Show, Andy Goodman. You're looking well. Thank you. Get that a lot? Yeah, sometimes. Uh, so I was diagnosed in February. This year? Yes. Congratulations. Yeah, so I had a double mastectomy and reconstruction in March. Right. I finished chemotherapy uh, tomorrow will be three weeks ago. Okay. I had uh, 16 rounds of chemotherapy. Where were you treated? I was treated at NYU. Okay. Just in New York City. I live in New York City, and uh, I started radiation today. Wow. Yeah. And you're still here. I'm still here. <laughs> this is your your post radiation. Yeah, I went hopefully straight this to work. After party. Yeah, I went straight to work, and then I uh, came here. Well, I wa- let let's go back to the beginning then. You, mm-hmm. All right. So, what were you doing in January of this year before you were diagnosed? January. Tell us about your life. Yeah. So I, you know, I'm a TV producer, and I was living a pretty normal life, living in New York City, very, you know, just going about hanging out the, my the friends. The daily grind. The daily grind. Going out my friends, complaining about the normal things that 30-year-olds complain about. Justin Bieber. How much everything costs, you know. Couldn't get a cab on the Upper East Side. It was raining out. My train was late. The normal stuff that you complain about living in New York City. Right. And um, Did you go to school for broadcasting? I did. I did. Where did you go to school? I went to Tennessee Tech University. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. One of Kenny's favorite cities is Nashville. Yes. Okay. It's an hour from Nashville. Right. Excellent. Yeah. You can't beat it. Yeah. And then, uh, so anyway, January was fine. And then February came along was getting ready to meet my friends and had an itch. I scratched it. I felt a lump uh, on my breast and was a little bit shocked. Didn't know what it was. Never felt it before. And went on Google. Said, you know, up to 80... Dr. Google. Yes, Dr. Google <laughs> told me that 85% of breast cancer lumps are benign. Right. So I was thought everything was fine. I thought I was a cyst. What was was breast cancer your first thought when you felt no, something? No, not what, what at all. Any maybe? history in your family? Nope. 
No history. I thought it was a cyst. Yeah. And I had you uh, been doing any regular breast exams in the past? No. Okay. No, because I, I you get when you know as a woman you go to the gynecologist once a year they right. do, and then I thought you know when I'm forty I'll start going for mammograms and right like a normal start, person yeah, yeah like a normal person and I uh, felt a lump and I kept poking at it and I was like well this has got to be nothing and then but. You know, I'm kind of a hypochondriac. I am a Long Island Jew, so nice. I figured, you know... Wait, you said the magic words. <laughs> this is like the when the secret word comes down on Pee-wee's Playhouse. All right. What's, that, what's the secret word? Well, Pee-wee's Playhouse in the oh. 80s, remember? Yeah. Am I too old for this? When you said the secret word, like the everything came down from the ceiling? The Cowboy Curtis yeah. word? That was the Cowboy Curtis word, yes. Got it. Okay. I've so, heard about that. went to the doctor, and um, she felt it. I, I was completely convinced it was a cyst. I, nothing else crossed my Cancer did not cross my mind at all. Right. And then as soon as I went to the gynecologist, she felt it and said, that's not a cyst. She Uh-oh. said, whatever it is, is solid. And she said, you need to get a mammogram and ultrasound as soon as possible. And that must have been fun to hear that. Yeah, uh, it wasn't. <laughs> and I kind of had a little bit of a breakdown as soon as I left. And she looked at me and said, don't stress out yet. She said, but call and get an appointment and go, you know, as soon as you can get in. And, of course, my first thought is, NYU, can you take me now? Right. right. But they were like, we can take you in two days. So I went in. Um, Those must have been really fun two you were, days. You were awake for You know what? Hours. I wasn't, actually. I completely thought it was nothing. Okay. I thought it was. I thought I was going to go in, and they were going to say it was a cyst, and they were going to drain it, and I was going to go about my life. Right. And, um, you know, I thought, I'm 30 years old. Cancer does not run in my family. I have nothing to worry about. Right. I, was, I was a little nervous. I'll admit, I went to the liquor store after the doctor's appointment. Bought some skinny girl margarita. <laughs> I've had some of that. It's a safe, a safe yeah. Area. Yeah. But I, I really wasn't panicked, which is a little shocking to me because I tend to panic over like a, a, a rash uh, over right, nothing. As you stated, Long Island. Trip. Yeah. Right. So, um, got the mammogram, and of course, as I've noticed, I'm always surrounded by much older ladies yes. in every doctor's appointment I go to. And well, he, had you had any exposure prior to any advocacy or any messaging as a nope. general layperson in the public? No. Okay. I knew very little. I, 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 you know, I knew what a normal thirty-year-old would know, which is nothing. The pink ribbon. Yeah, <laughs> pink. And you know, this is something else to worry about in my sixties. Right. Not when I'm thirty. Right. Right. And I, you know, got the mammogram. Sat, went back and sat in the waiting room, listened to all the ladies complaining. I'm like flipping through a magazine, answering <laughs> work emails. Still, nothing's phasing me. They call me back for more imaging on a different machine. Right. Nothing phases me. Going for the ultrasound, she does it. I have no idea what's going on. I'm just like, whatever, how much longer am I going to be here? Right. And then a radiologist came in and said, uh, your imaging looks very suspicious. I want to do an, a biopsy right now. Right now. And that's, yes. from what we've been led to understand, that's very painful. Um, You know, I was so... I'm not going to lie, I had a little bit of a breakdown when I said that. Right. The first thing I said was, do you think I have cancer? And she said, we don't know. She said, it could be nothing. Right. She said, but I want to do a biopsy right now. And again, I have no experience in any of this. I've never had a mammogram, never done any of this. But this is, wait, this is two days after self-discovery. No, this, okay, so self-discovery was like February 11th, I think, and okay. then this is February 27th. So two weeks later, I okay. went to Okay, not a tremendous amount of time, no. which is good. Okay. Yeah, I went Anecdotally. Pretty, 
Yeah, I went very quickly, which is very important because if I had waited, say, for my yearly annual exam, no question, I would have been stage three. Right. I was very close to stage three. I was very lucky that I went to Dr. One I did. And, you know, they brought in the radiologist, the biopsy. They numb you. So it's not terrible. It's right. like the equivalent of, like, Novocaine. Um, what I didn't realize as I was having my nervous breakdown was that they brought some pathology into my room. So she was taking a sample, handing it to the pathologist. Right. He was looking at her. She was looking at him. And no one was looking at you. Yes. They're not. And I kind of closed my eyes. There's really these big scary needles, so I didn't really... I'm not really scared of needles, but these needles were scary. Right. So I... You know, then they did the, it's called final aspiration, which is a very, like, local biopsy. Mm -hmm. Um, What I did not know at the time was that they were also doing a biopsy of a lymph node that they saw on the ultrasound that was malignant. Because they were too busy talking to one another. Right. Because they were too busy, I think, trying not to give me too much information all at once, which I'm very lucky that I was diagnosed as quickly as I was. I've heard most people I've met have had to wait up to a week. Then I would have lost my mind. But I, uh, you know... Then as soon as, I guess, the radiologist and the guy from pathology went outside the room, I guess he told her that it was, you know, there were malignant cells, and she came back in and told me, and I freaked out. And uh, then they did another biopsy. Um, it's called a core biopsy, which is much, pretty it's, painful. It's chunkier. Yeah, that's the, <laughs> that's, that's the painful biopsy. Right. But again, they gave me a lot of Novocaine because I was having a nervous breakdown. Yeah. Sure. So you did, and, you did sort of get what you wanted. You wanted everything up front. But it was a delayed upfront. Yeah. I was very, you know, I've met so many other cancer survivors, especially women my age. I am, I'm the only person I've, I know who's got their results on the spot. So I think that given my age, they were able to tell the tumor was pretty big. It was 3.5 centimeters. Wow. They were able to see the uh, malignant lymph node. So I think they told me that I was very fast-tracked. Wow. Okay, so, good. So, you know. So what stage were you? What was the end? I was we can, stage two. Okay. And, which which what my doctor thought, but right. I still had to get a PET scan. Right. Because you can't tell someone, you know, you're fine because what if you're not? What if, right. you know, breast cancer, the number one places it spreads is your bones right. and your liver, mm-hmm. lungs, brain. So they, you know, did an MRI and they didn't see anything in the MRI that we didn't already know. That was the next day I met with the surgeon and um, had a PET scan the day after that, and PET scan stank. And but. when did the genetics come back that it was triple negative? So the that came back from the core biopsy the, act, the day before my surgery. Wow, okay. I found, so I'm, you know, my doctor is telling me, you know, you'll need chemotherapy, but probably only about three or four months worth of chemotherapy, and then you'll go on tamoxifen, and, which is a pill that you take that kind of... Um, Keeps it's it in for, check. Yeah, it's for hormone positive uh, breast people with breast cancer. Breast cancer is uh, brought on by typically three uh, hormones, which is progesterone, HER2, and estrogen. Um, I found day before my surgery, triple negative. And, um, you know, of course, the first thing the doctor says, this is not the news that we wanted. Right. Because triple negative is more aggressive. Right. Which also explains why I felt like it came out of nowhere. And uh, you can't take tamoxifen, you can't take Herceptin, you're very limited on drugs. The good news about triple negative is you do get a lot of chemotherapy. So there's no, you, the typical standard care, whether you're stage one or stage three, stage four, is the 16 rounds of chemotherapy. Right. Um, you know, the adriamycin, cytoxin, 
Um, usually women take Taxol. My body decided to be anaphylactic allergic to Taxol. That's good stuff right there. Yeah. So I switched to Abraxane, which is all part of the Taxol family. And um, so I guess my yeah. question to you then is, you know, this is a young adult show. We focus mm-hmm. on the young adult experience, how it's different from other people, mm-hmm. obviously notwithstanding the... The, the the jocular nature of the old ladies complaining about, you know, their bursitis or whatever it is and their grandchildren of Florida. You know, were, were, did anyone understand that you were 30? Did you get the impression from any of the folks at the NYU that you were to be treated in, in any age-appropriate sense of the word in terms of fertility? Did they ask you, you know, about your diet and exercise? Did they ask you about your, your behavior? Any Any sort of downloads on that? Yeah, they asked me a lot about my background. And I remember one of the things when I went to my gynecologist, she said that she really thought I'd be better off going to NYU, which was the best thing anyone could have told me because I feel like NYU, especially New York City, I mean, NYU is the only hospital I've experienced with. Right. But I do feel like they really understand how to speak to younger patients. Good. They were very good with handling my parents because I have Jewish parents who <laughs> freaked out too. As do I. Yeah. And um, my surgeon... You know, she was very, I did seek, I did not get fertility treatments, but they got me an appointment with the fertility treatments. Even the fertility doctor knew I was such a time crunch. She called me from her vacation in Vail just to talk me through the process because she knew that by time, you know, I was on such a tight schedule before chemotherapy. Right. They were, they were excellent. My oncologist is very good with younger patients. There's, I've met a lot of younger patients at my oncologist's did, office. Did they helpful. discuss fertility options? They did. Wow, um, you okay. know, I I remember That's good. I like that story. Yeah, I remember when I the radiologist first told me I had cancer, one of the first things I said was I've never had children. Because that's one, you know, 30 years old, it's one of the first things that crosses that's, your mind. Yes. All my friends have kids. I'm, you know, especially my friends from college, I'm one of the only ones who's left who's single and not married. So that was one of the first things that crossed my mind was, I've never had kids. And, of course, not not fully comprehending, like, a cancer diagnosis and not comprehending chemotherapy. Right. That's all you think but that's is... An, and a very, very attentive, uh, self-advocating, instinctive thing to say. Right. And they told me right away, they told me about Fertile Hope. Right. Which but, is the program through LiveStrong. They give you fall under a certain income level, and you're going to be undergoing cancer treatments within a certain age. They offer you a grant. Um, I chose not to for some personal reasons not to do fertility treatments, but I definitely thought it through, and I figure that, you know, when the time comes for me to get married, have a family, then I'll figure that out later. But There's always China. Yeah. <laughs> well, I've actually, you know, I haven't done a lot of research, but I've heard that they're a little strict with giving babies to cancer survivors. Yeah. It, it's, but, yeah. There are some issues there. Yeah. I have many, many friends. Kenny and I have several friends here in the city who've done surrogacy and adoption mm-hmm. after cancer. So Yeah. that was And that was something that all my doctors are talking about, whether it's my, my breast surgeon, my oncologist, my radiation oncologist. They've all told me about all the options that I have. and. Even with all the chemotherapy I had, they still feel that given I was a younger patient, that I, it's still possible for me to get pregnant naturally. It's just, you know, it's a lot. Right now I'm still in treatment, so it's a lot to think about. Yeah, I know. So I'll deal with that later. But they were very upfront with, you know, keep me, letting me know that it was going to be okay. Well, kudos to NYU for that. That's the progress yeah. we like to talk about here on the show. For every one woman who's told that, there's still one who says, I never had children, and they get a vacant stare from their providers. So we're trying to change that, and this is really great news. Yeah, I, I remember they give you, like, a you have cancer packet. Yeah, I know. I got that, leave. yeah. 
like you're freaking out and they're giving you, you know, ice packs or your biopsies. And they're also like, here's a bag full of you have cancer paperwork. Paraphernalia, right. Yeah, and I remember one of them was the paperwork for Fertile Hope. Good. And that okay. was, you know, they brought pretty quickly. That's great. So was, um, you came to the OMG 2012 East conference mm-hmm. that we held in September at Baruch. How did you find out about that? I found out, I got an email, I think I got the email through Young Survival Coalition. We love them, they're our big partner. Yeah, and I went to Young Survival Coalition event a few months ago, and then I was on the email list, and then I saw that you guys were doing this, and I thought it would be a good way to meet other people, especially in New York City, who, you know, have been through the same thing. And, you know, it's good to meet people who have had other types of cancer, too. Right. Not just around myself, with other people who have had breast cancer. Right, No, and that's good. So, was it... Was that the first time you'd been in a room with 150 other not specific breast cancer survivors yeah. under 40? It was. Okay. It was. What was, was your What was your immediate thought? My immediate thought. Get me out of here. <laughs> no, I really liked that. That the program was really good. Um, it made me think I was really lucky. I was really lucky that I found it when I did, and it's really scary to have cancer, and it's really nice to meet other people who can just truly understand what you've been through yep. right. and also reminds you that you see people who are survivors for a long time and we've been, Matthew, you've been a survivor for a very long time so it's very helpful when, especially when you're in treatment, sometimes it's hard to see the future right? and it's really helpful to meet other people who are 5, 10, 20 years out who are living life they have hair, they have eyebrows well, I don't really have much hair left That's I would have never guessed that you were without hair right now. Yeah, I have a little bit of hair, but I still have a wig. Did you pay for that wig, or did you get it donated? Or I bought it, okay. and um, I got some insurance money back. Good. Okay. So um, yeah, people don't know it's a wig, which is good because I don't want to be stared at and treated like a cancer patient. But sometimes <laughs> when the subway is really crowded, I kind of want to take it off so people right. give me a seat. But you know, it's nice to meet other people. It's good to see people thriving. But then you meet people who have other diagnoses, who you know have a tougher time or their treatment's a lot harder, or there's worse side effects, and you're kind of, you know, I tried to keep a level head with what I was going through, but it kind of puts you in your place, and it, it was very eye-opening. All right. All right. Well, uh, one more question, then. We're going hit to the, hit the news, talk to uh, Maura, and then we, we, you can comment on when we open up the conversation with breast cancer action. But before we get to that, my, my last question for you is, so what? how has your perception of, of breast cancer or pink, I mean, you, you said you weren't really exposed to it before, but most people are exposed. They just don't realize it when they're going through bed, bath, and beyond the scene, you know, pink, uh, you know, loofahs or whatever. You know, what are your thoughts on that? Now? Especially since you work yeah. in the media. My, it's interesting. This is, so I finished chemotherapy in October, and I've always done all of the cancer walks. I've done, there's, there's tons in New York City. You have fundraisers for everything. Right. And I always notice, you know, there's like a pink mix master and, pink nail polish that money goes to charity and I am so much more aware <laughs> um, I've noticed that a charity navigator is a very good website to go on yes. if you want to look up uh, you know what they rank the charities out of four stars and how much they break it down like how much they spend especially larger organizations especially how much they're spending on fundraising and how much money you know they break down where all the money goes and one thing I've noticed I've done a lot of research on this especially with the products is that some organizations will charge, you know, for one example, I'm not going to name names, but one, it was a bracelet and it was $100. But they had a cap on how much they donated to whichever breast cancer charity it was. But you're going to charge $100, but you're only going to donate $15,000. 
to charity for breast cancer, how much of a profit are you making right. off of this? And some people sell stuff and they'll just have the tagline, you know, pink for breast cancer awareness. Right. Well, what are you making me aware of? Right. <laughs> just because it's pink? It, if you're going to – we're a capitalist country. Companies, it's fine if they want to put pink on a product and choose a charity and say, we will donate a portion of this to breast cancer research, whichever charity it is. But I do want – I hope people really notice what charity is going to. That's a charity, you know, that they feel comfortable with their money going to. Obviously, you know, we talked. you guys talked about Livestrong. Coleman has had some bad headlines since the first October that Coleman's really had to deal with this. Right. And some people, you know, I, you know, Coleman's done a lot of great things for women. So Absolutely. I'm not going to say no anything No one's knocking that. that. Right. And no one knocks that, but you'd be surprised. People have really strong opinions. Maybe they're not fully aware of all the good they've done. Right. But people do have really strong opinions, and I really hope that when people buy these products that... A, the companies are doing the right thing and donating a good portion of the product. They're not just pocketing the money right. and, you know, lying their bank accounts with all these products that they're slopping some pink on. And I really hope that people are taking into account which charity the money is going to because that's really important as well. Because you want to make right. sure that they're spending their money in a very smart way, whether, you know, they're giving money to research or mammograms or, you know, support. There's so many different things that you could raise money for, for, uh, you know, women with breast cancer or even women who have never been diagnosed or their caretakers. Wherever your story may be, you want to know that the money is going somewhere good, and it's not just companies trying to make a buck. Well, if you love us and you love YSE, you're going to love the ladies from Breast Cancer Action. So okay. sit tight, hold there. Andy Goodman, um, survivor extraordinaire. Thanks for being on. You're going to stick around? Yep. All right, so let's get to the news here. Hello, I'm Kent Brockman, and this is Eye on Cancer. Just the facts, ma'am. Okay, here at Stupid Cancer, we promote and host hundreds of U.S. events each year, and we do not want you missing out on any of them. Kenny, what's up? All right, Matthew, November 3rd, we actually have a L.A. Cancer Palooza, the first one since 2010. It's nice. a Stupid Cancer fundraiser held by a bunch of awesome people out in Los Angeles. Uh, the same day, November 3rd, we have a Stupid Cancer happy hour in Denver. And I'm happy to announce another fundraiser, November 18th, in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. It's a paintball fundraiser benefiting stupid cancer. That's awesome. And a Halloween party coming up. Yes, coming up soon. In New York City Wednesday here. Wednesday the 24th. Yes, don't miss it. All right, it's official. Mark your calendars for OMG 2013, the 6th Annual OMG Cancer Summit, April 25th and 28th at the Palm Casino in Las Vegas. That's April 25th to April 28th. Four days of awesome at one of the largest gatherings of its kind in the world. Visit omg2013.org today and learn more about the Players Club, an exciting way to earn travel reimbursement by fundraising. Check out omg2013.org. All righty. Um, this number is probably low at this point, but the stupid kids store has... I love that you quantify it. More than 14, probably yeah. like 18 or 19. Yes, we are adding new items frequently. So Check the stupid kids store now has brand new hoodies. It's got brand new T-shirts. It's got running gear, cycling shirt. Yeah, it's just everything is. It's up. just amazing stuff. It's blowing up. Please visit stupidcancerstore.org. Wear stupid cancer. Support a great cause. All right, Matthew. The stupid cancer forums have over 2,500 members. This is your premier online community to connect with survivors, patients, parents, and caregivers just like you. Visit stupidcancerstupidcancerforums.com. You drunk? Still? I'm still drunk. Sign up with one click through Facebook. All right, and that is your stupid cancer news. All right. All right. All right, so we got the, here's the Morcini piece. 
Maura Tierney has spent her adult life acting first on the stage in New York and then moved to Los Angeles in the late 1980s where she had parts in TV movies as well as episodic shows such as Growing Pains, Family Ties, and Law and & Order. And they left out news radio on this. Um, she also appeared in Liar Liar with Jim Carrey. In 2000, she landed her most famous role as Abby in the long-running series ER. We are thrilled to have on the Stupid Cancer Show, Maura Tierney. <laughs> I said fake it till you make it, so. <laughs> A I can round do that. of applause. <laughs> so we're thrilled to have you on the show. Thank you so much for being with us. Thank you for having me. Um, so going back to 2009, I remember you had the diagnosis, and at the time, you were there was all kinds of materials out for this new show, Parenthood, right? You had just been you had done the pilot, is that right? And all the promotional materials were kind of out there. And yeah. then can you sort of take us back to that time and what that was like? Because you're in the throes of about to do something very high profile. And what happened? <laughs> um, well, I was diagnosed with breast cancer um, and found out shortly after that diagnosis that I, I had surgery and that I needed to undergo further treatment with chemotherapy. So at that point, I made the decision to to drop out of that show. Right. And is that right? You had you had just shot the pilot, is that right? Yes. Okay. The show hadn't gone into production yet. Okay. Did you have symptoms or, or what, what sort of caused the uh, need to... Yeah, I had a, I found a lump, and then I went and got a, a mammogram. Okay. Had you had a mammogram baseline prior? No, I had not, which is really stupid. <laughs> I would urge everyone to get a mammogram. I mean, I was 42, and I hadn't gotten one yet, which is just, you know, it's silly to wait that long. Yeah. I mean, I've heard you say about, uh, I've heard you talk a little bit about being, you know, the irony of being hesitant maybe to go to a doctor and, of course, your most famous role is first as a nurse and then a, as a doctor on ER. I mean, was that the case? Or did, you, did you feel something? I mean, did you go right away when you felt something or did you kind of say, eh, I mean, maybe I procrastinated a, a little bit, but I was really fearful that there was something wrong. So, I, you know, I went. I, I should have gone. I procrastinated a little bit because I was afraid, you know, which is, again, Stupid. Yeah. Well, it's not really stupid. We deal with this issue all the time. Like late yeah. detection is partially because you know we don't take ourselves seriously, or doctors don't take us seriously. Or we trust doctors who tell us to come back in six months. Right. So I, I wouldn't beat yourself up too much about it. You're in good company with other other idiots like us. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it, but it is better if I, you know, that it's just better to, you know, get it early if yeah, you can. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Um, and you, so you had surgery, and you had, um, and you had reconstruction. Because I remember seeing something that I very much related to. I remember seeing you on Ellen, and describing, um, which is exactly what I went through, which I found so helpful. I mean, it's sort of a funny thing to describe, but like meeting women who were total strangers, they take your top, their tops off and say, like, yeah. you know, you can fill them up and see what see what's, see what's out there. I mean, that's yeah. that's what you did, right? Yeah, I did. It was um, I, I, my plastic surgeon. Um, he he sort of organized. Well, some women actually. Well, this other doctor's secretary just took her top off. She um, but my plastic surgeon organized asked other patients of his that had had reconstruction to come in and like talk to me about you know their choices they had made, um, and so it was really helpful. Yeah, I, I wanted mean, to bring up. Oh, sorry, Lisa, go ahead. Go ahead. No, I just was saying, I mean, you are a sort of, when you break it down, you're a paying customer, and you kind of want to see the good you're, you're going to get, right? 
Yeah, basically. And, you know, it's important. It's important it's psychologically, you know, that you feel comfortable with, you know, what whatever is going to be put inside your body. Yeah, definitely. I was going to talk about the Godfather 3 experience that you had that I share with you, which is just when you think you're out, they pull you back in. Yeah, because exactly. Because you, you were clearly in the mindset of being out of the woods, and all of a sudden, boom, they got to hit you up with uh, with, with uh, sort of chemotherapy. And yeah. You know, there must have been like a, a, a total, really, what, what what the hell's going on in, in your mind? Yeah, I mean, well, it was really, it was that, exactly that. And um, that my oncologist uh, was really great, Dr. Glassy, and he said, well, there's good news and there's bad news. The good news is you're going to be fine. The bad news is it's going to take a little longer for you to get there, and you, you're going to need to have the chemo. Um, and I was really surprised, and so that's why when... Well, you had clean margins, too. How do you know that? Yeah. I'm reading your bio. Oh, does it say that in my bio? I, I, see, I stalk you on TMZ. That's what happened. <laughs> That's not on TMZ. All the clean all margins. The, yeah. It's the it's the Perez Hilton medical section. <laughs> right. All the all, all those TMZ videos of you having clean margins. Yes. Uh, that Perez Hilton medical page. I actually did, but then I got another surgery. But, I mean, you know, they, they, it's, they still were like, you need to get the chemo, and it freaked me the hell out. So, yeah. which is why I'm working on this thing. Right, right. And we want to get, we definitely want to get to the specifics of that uh, in a moment. So it freaked you the hell out because of your health? Was it also involved, you know, with your career? You had a very active career at the time. Like, what on what levels? Did I was that really record? worried about my career. At the, I mean, yeah. that meaning that wasn't the first thing that came sure. to your mind. Sure. Um, so, um, just because you know, there's more pressing stuff, and it was the scarier because it was a more aggressive type of cancer, and chemotherapy is uh, a scary prospect. Sure, definitely. So what were the worst of your fears, just what it would do to sort of ravage your body? Yeah, that my body would be ravaged, that I would be unable to do anything, that I wouldn't be able to get up off the couch, that I could, you know, that my whole quality, like that I wouldn't be able to do anything, that it wouldn't be me. Um, right. But that wasn't the case. Yeah. It's interesting because we talk a lot about on the show also about pop culture images of cancer, and I think maybe a lot of us, you know, there, uh, um, the movie that came out, Fifty Fifty, I think, um, with Seth Rogen, did a good job of sort of showing cancer somewhat accurately. But to your point, I think going back to movies like Terms of Endearment, oh God. where, you know, you see these people sort of getting with cancer and, and chemotherapy, and it's sort of these worst-case, like, you know, oh, my goodness, in the throat, you know, highly dramatic, where the person does look, you know, completely ravaged by going through the process, when that's right. not necessarily the case. Right, and also, even if you look sick, you know, I, I, I mean, chemotherapy is a cure. It unfortunately has to destroy some other stuff in you. Well, it destroys the cancer, hopefully. And so you do look other, and you look kind of alien, and you look, you know, I remember, you know, I lost my hair, which was hard, but then when my, you lose your eyebrows and your eyelashes, you really don't, that's your kind of character. So it's, you can, you do look sick but that you know it's, it's it doesn't mean that you need to be treated as and you know fragile or dying or you know or that does that make sense to me to you yeah absolutely. well it, it ties into the whole myths thing which is you know the the gist behind uh, the whole campaign the younger generation you know we thrive on conspiracies and myths and when i had there was no chemo for my brain cancer because it didn't exist back then in the stone age of 1996 
but I was given Chernobyl radiation, and the joke was that I could be, you know, I could be like radioactive in from The Simpsons, or pick up paper clips with my fingers, or whatever, or like <laughs> just like mind screw somebody with my ESP. It didn't happen that way. But at the end of the day, there are certain cancers that you are radioactive for, like thyroid cancer. But the trick is, where do you separate the bunk from the real, and who's delivering the credible information? With the internet right. being completely the opposite of what it was 20 years ago, which was nothing, you know, how do you separate the wheat from the chaff? I think the Internet is a dangerous place to go. I, I was pretty good about not doing that. Um, that's why hopefully the website, um, com, will be sort of a central place that functions as sort of like a, uh, like a sieve for meaningful information that can be actually helpful and that's not, you know, going to freak anybody out. So was that your experience, though, when they said chemo, you immediately had these, these pre-existing connotations and stickers about what this could mean, and was someone there to help explain this to you? Yes. My I, my doctors were great. Um, my doctor, Dr. Glassby at UCLA, were great. But I he I just asked a lot of questions, um, and that's, I think, a very important thing and an important part of the campaign is to encourage people to communicate with their doctors and, you know, gain a little bit of control through as much information as you can get. So what are, I guess the question, the elephant in the room, what are the biggest myths about chemotherapy, the misconceptions that most people sort of think is true? Well, as I said, I think the thing about, you know, being unable to do anything at all, and I think there are people in certain parts of the country, I've been told by Amgen that um, they can't, eat certain kinds of foods uh, and that they can't uh, exercise or that they can't hang around with their grandchildren. And and that's just those things, by and large, everybody's different, um, aren't true. You know, from my experience, I was much able, I was able to do a lot of the things during chemotherapy that I, you know, that I could do before. Lisa's dog agrees with you. I know I can I'm, hear. I'm so sorry about that. We've had to uh we've had to uh split up our location today, but yes, yeah, she's in complete internal agreement with you. Um tell me also, so what have, so have people come up to you as you've done this campaign? Um and what kinds of questions do you feel that you've gotten out there sort of from the general public as you've gone out? Cuz you're doing I know you're doing a, a video booth and you've done videos yourself on the website about this. Have people kind of approached you and have you found that there's kind of been one common thread of what you've been asked yeah i mean i i do i think that everybody is a chemotherapy is a scary prospect and it seems that most people you know there's a lot of trepidation um so i feel like that's the thing and i I, you know i have a friend whose mother was just diagnosed with cancer and found out she needed chemo and i was gratified to know that she went to the website and felt like she had some of her anxiety calmed by, you know, getting the information there. Right, right. And so what is it? So you, people out there can actually film videos for the site? Is that how it works? And you're kind of no, no, there'll the be, country? there is a video booth that's going around the country that has been going around the country that um, is at different cancer awareness events. Um, and people are encouraged to go in and just talk for a minute or two about a personal story about their treatment, maybe something they know now that they wish they had known before they started or just words of encouragement or just a, a personal reflection. And they've already got about 100 of them. Right. They're going to edit them together. And when they're finished, I think that, um, in October, they're going to put together this sort of collage of, of 
thoughts. It's like the Jay Leno man on the street, but the opposite. I guess so. <laughs> I, I don't watch Jay Leno that one. I don't know. I'll never be That's on okay. it again. He's not our sponsor, so don't worry about it. Okay. Um, so, and also, your um, I heard you mention too that your your dad was going through cancer kind of at the same time that you were, right? Yes, he was. And what? So, how were you able to kind of lean on each other, or do you have other caregivers, or how did that? How did yeah, that well, the whole of... family sort of we all just sort of depended on each other. It was a rough time, but um, we're a pretty tight unit. So, yeah. Did you take to any social media through your? I mean, you obviously traditional media. You're on lots of TV shows, and everyone knew. I mean, and you're, you're being a celebrity with your recognition. But were there any sort of more granular ways in which you reach out to communities about your story and reaching for support? No, I'm not really. I don't tweet, or I'm not on Facebook, or that's. I don't know. It's just not something I got on top of. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we'll have to get Perez Hilton health. To. I'll have to get Perez Hilton the health to start tweeting my thoughts <laughs> about the campaign. Yes, exactly. So I love that. Did Anton yeah. like approach you? Because I think that you know, again, going back to this idea that this community, our community especially, really craves credible information, and we live yeah. with stigma and myth. You know, you can't get cancer under sixty. You can't get cancer in college. You know, you're too young for this. That kind of stuff. And, uh, you know, that in and of itself being a stigma, but the, you know, you will lose your hair, you will look like crap, you will feel like crap, you know, there's nothing we can do about it. And most people don't know about the tremendous advances in, in medicines, the chemotherapeutic agents these days. I actually have to go. I'm so sorry. Thank you so much for having me on the show. We will okay. we'll be, and is it right we can catch you in an arc on The Good Wife this fall? Yes. Excellent. Starting we'll look forward weeks, to that. I think. Great. All right. Thank you, more Tierney. Thank you, guys. Thanks so okay. much for being with us. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Okay, well, there you go. Mauritini, everybody. That was a good interview. She's uh, really doing some good work. Absolutely. Yeah. Pre-recorded with uh, the lovely Lisa Burns. Yes, we thank Lisa for uh, being involved and in getting more on the show. And, uh, again, she's a really humble person. And, you know, I now have a staunch commitment to launching Perez Hilton Health. <laughs> I can't even imagine what his doodles on the picture would be. <laughs> going to join me? Yeah. Okay, great. Perez Hilton Health, here we come. All right, in any case, now it is time for the main event. And I am super excited to have these ladies back on the show. The pink gloves are coming off. The pink gloves. The pink gloves are coming off. Okay, Angela Wall is the communications manager, and Annie Sartor is the policy and communications coordinator for Breast Cancer Action which is, I don't know, Angry Pink, done right. That's my interpretation of it. Please welcome to the show Angela and uh, Annie from Breast Cancer Action. Ladies. Hello. Hi, Hello. thanks for having us. I understand that Caitlin's under the weather. Yes, she's she's gone off home. Well, we will pay homage via virtual Tylenol. <laughs> She'll appreciate that. This is your fourth official returning champion uh, slot on the Stupid Cancer Show. Every year we have you guys on in October for all the right reasons. And for those of you out there in the listener world that do not know Breast Cancer Action, they are they are the act up I wanted to be when I started this organization. Uh, I think you guys, and, and that's probably a horrible <laughs> way to phrase it because you are so much more in that sense. I would just love to have you guys first start out by saying, what is Breast Cancer Action? Why was it founded? How is it different? And why should people care as much as I do? Well, this is Angela, and I wanted to say it is as much a pleasure for us to be back a fourth year in a row as it is 
um, for you to say such nice things about us. We love coming on the show, and kudos back at you because you do equally good work. That's important, and it's um, it's a good pairing. Um, Breast Cancer Action is now 22 years old, and we were founded by a group of very angry women who'd been diagnosed with breast cancer who were sick and, you know, to use a horrific pun, but sick to death, quite literally, of not being able to access the information they needed to make the right health choices and the right um, treatment choices about their own um, diagnoses because either they couldn't get the information, it wasn't out there, their doctors wouldn't tell them. And so angry and frustrated about that, they decided to take matters in their own hand and around a humble kitchen table, they started figuring out what it was they didn't know, what they needed to know, whose mind they needed to change, who wasn't giving up the information, and they just charged through doors and, you know, literally chained themselves to death and got what they needed to know. I mean, this is a case of back then, you know, people being um, in line for a mastectomy and their surgeons refusing to explain to them what they would look like after a mastectomy because it would be too troubling to them as women to hear um, such horrific descriptions. And so, you know, we've kind of gone from that level of grassroots to now a national um, organization that you know, is is, real, is committed to telling the truth about what's really going on in breast cancer and working towards real actionable change. So that's things that actually will improve and actionably improve women's lives around breast cancer. And that runs the gamut from actually stopping cancer before it starts to working to have effective, less toxic, more um, affordable treatments for women who are being treated for cancer. Um, and so it's everything and everything in between. Well, that's a, that's a handful, but it sounds very <laughs> no. I mean, it sounds very well thought out, and obviously, you guys have a very very specific mission. Every single year, you take on another corporation and win. It's quite amazing to see the progress and the impact that you guys have had. Um, uh, I just want to go back maybe two years. One of the things I was most impressed about was the way you guys. Uh, we're dealing with the bovine growth hormone issues from two years ago. No, it was two years ago, but um, can you just talk briefly about that? Because it's really an impact statement of how powerful and influential you guys are in the fight. Yeah, I mean, you know, we've had we had several campaigns around RBGH or recombinant bovine growth hormone or RBST, as it's also known as. Um, and the first big win that we had around that was our YoPlay put a lid on it campaign, and General Mills had partnered through YoPlay with Komen for the Cure to donate for every lid of a yogurt pot that you sent in, um, they would, I think, donate an nth of a cent. An nth of a cent. An nth of a cent or something. I, I think if you ate, for, for the duration of the campaign, a yogurt three times a day over the duration of a month, I think that the sum total that you would raise for them was like 25 or $35. You know, and as someone greater than me once said, you know, just write a check, right? I mean, right. It, because the bottom line is that, you know, Yoplait and General Mills profited. And the big issue we had around that whole campaign um, was that they were using dairy products, so milk from dairy cows that were actually stimulated with bovine growth hormone, which has been linked to causing an increased risk of breast cancer. Um, and so 
you know, this is a speaking out of both sides of your mouth. You're both supporting women with breast cancer on the one hand by having a pink ribbon on your product, and at the same time you're using an ingredient which at the same time increases their risk of developing cancer. Isn't that convenient? Um, And so we had a big campaign going after them, and the result was that they... um, stopped using RBGH in their dairy products. And then a few months later, Dannon followed suit, and the result was that two-thirds of the dairy market is now RBGH-free. And we followed up from that with a a big milking cancer campaign, which is a long-term campaign for us here. So, you know, some of these wins are small and immediate. The YoPlay win happened, I think, within three months. Some of them are... You know, you take on bigger organizations like Eli Lilly, which is a pharmaceutical giant, and we have, you know, hit stumbling blocks, but we are, you know, we don't, we're in it for the long haul. So we're, we decided after the YoPlay win that we were actually, you know, enough of going after these things product by product, corporation by corporation. We needed to go straight to the source. And so Eli Lilly is the worldwide manufacturer, sole worldwide manufacturer of RBGH. And so we have a campaign currently called Milking Cancer that's um, looking to have them stop manufacturing it completely. And the interesting thing about Eli Lilly is, you know, so they have a number of, you know, drugs that they produce. They have a prevention drug, a so-called prevention drug for breast cancer. They treat, they have a, a, a drug to treat breast cancer. And then lo and behold, they manufacture RBGH, which just keeps the whole cycle nicely spinning around that has been linked to causing cancer. So they've got the whole little breast cancer profit cycle tied up there. Um, so that's the, that's the RBGH story. So let's kick it over to Andy then. I mean, in terms of your your current campaigns, obviously the the Think Before You Pink has been around for a very long time. It's been very effective. Uh, I'm on your site now, and you're you're currently heading up for a uh, a, uh, a decade of the Think Before You Pink campaigns. Um, can you talk to us about you know what is the what are the specific targets uh, on a more global scale for the next couple of months? Yeah, thank you for that transition. That's perfect. As Angela mentioned, we've had a Think Before You Pink campaign that we've run for right about 10 years now that has focused on companies and products like Eli Lilly or YoPlay who are taking advantage of Breast Cancer Awareness Month to sell products that sometimes are linked to a higher risk of breast cancer, which we find uh, absurd. And so we've done a lot of work around accountability on that front. And this year, we were reflecting on how successful those campaigns have been over the past 10 years and how it's time to shift the conversation and move past these wonderful and important and critical pinkwashing campaigns, but actually shift the conversation beyond company by company or product by product and go and and zoom out to look at the bigger problem. And in our estimation, the bigger problem, as we see it, is that we have a public health crisis on our hands. More women are being diagnosed with and dying of breast cancer. We have an epidemic, and it is the role of our elected officials and our government to address a public health epidemic. So this year, being an election year, we've 
tried to shift focus beyond individual companies toward where accountability and responsibility really lies, and that's with our elected leaders. And so we have a, uh, we're calling it the 2012 mandate for uh, government action that we have on our website, and we're asking uh, activists to take a look at the mandate, which is demanding that elected officials support independent research into breast cancer and support strong regulation to prevent the disease. Is this the It's an Epidemic Stupid campaign? Exactly. Sorry. That's a great <laughs> name. Which we thought you'd love. <laughs> oh, it's fantastic. It's a fantastic campaign. Yeah, and that calls into, you know, we're we're riffing off of, you know, the Bill Clinton era mantra there. We're saying, right. you know, it's the economy, this is stupid. Exactly. Oh, yes, you get it straight away. <laughs> Breast I went to college. Is a complex epidemic and it's going to take it's going to take strong leadership and action to to address and end it. So, we have the it's an epidemic campaign is focused on putting pressure on our on our policymakers via the mandate. All right. Well, my my next question is really around effectivity. And this is sort of a loaded question, but do you think that if you were not breast cancer related, you would not get the traction you have? Hmm. Um, do you mean in uh, um, in general or? Yes, in general. I mean, is it, is it safe to say anymore, or is it politically incorrect to think that breast cancer is kind of an easy, more mm. tactile, uh, you know, yes. understanding in the public? So I, it, what's interesting is, I think, yeah, if you're if you're all pink, if you're all about pink, absolutely. I mean, pink organizations, breast cancer, you know, clusters of groups of women who are wanting to do something around this you know, continue to emerge around a, a, a pink issue or a pink theme or doing something pink. I think our job has never been easy because we have never stood for pink and we have always stood directly in opposition to pink. And so the idea of our job having been easy is actually a bit of an oxymoron because it's never been easy. I mean, Well, we are easy is a grain of salt easy. Like if you were pancreatic cancer or lung cancer, it might be more difficult, correct? Um you know, I don't know. It's a good question. I, I feel like, it to me, that the ongoing challenge is, A, that this is women's health. Right. And getting anything that's women's whatever. Women's there, whatever. <laughs> yeah, you know, and, and being discussed and taken seriously is always challenging. So in many ways, you know, I think, you know, the, the, the question is the other way around. Is You know, because it's breast cancer, does it need to be elevated higher? And does pancreatic and lung, are there certain cancers that just get more attention because they're not specific to women. Um, you know, we, we've, we, I feel like the, the non-traditional breast cancer organizations have had to push really, really hard, and actually we, we, struggle and we struggle for every dollar that we get, especially those of us that don't take any funding like Breast Cancer Action from organizations that have any profit, you know, profit in any way from, from this disease or epidemic. Right, and that's something I think is very unique about how you guys have differentiated your brand amongst the sea of pink, or we call it, you know, pink nausea or whatever. You know, it's not even the consumer side. It's the fact that as a nonprofit, you are incredibly dedicated to ensuring that none of the money that comes into the organization is, is I guess, tainted would be mm -hmm. a good word. Yeah, and, and, and that's, you know, and there's, there's a very specific reason for that, right? I mean, this organization was founded because women needed to cut through the BS 
and get to the truth, that they weren't able to access information to empower themselves to make the right decisions. And that integrity and credibility of being able to stand up and say, you can turn to us and get the information you need and know that it's unbiased, or at least if there is a bias, the bias is towards a patient and women's health. And so we, you know, we had to devise a very careful contributions plan and policy around that such that people felt that in this sea of breast cancer organizations, you know, we could stand out. And, and that's been, I mean, and that's, that's one of our primary missions and foci, you know, um, which is, is that credibility. All right, I want, Kenny has a question, but I want to spin this the right way because it's really about loving your haters and that you really know when you've been successful when the haters come out. So, Kenny, go ahead. Well, it's not necessarily haters. It's, you know, Matt and I are, are social media wonks. We're, we're nerds. We're losers about it. We love when people find us in interesting ways, and they don't really know the organization so that sometimes it can be misinterpreted. You know, like, what's stupid about cancer? Why is cancer stupid? And it used to be, you know, why are you guys too young for this? So I'm wondering if you guys, especially since I'm looking at your a lovely cover photo of, of it's an epidemic, stupid. What are some of the more interesting things that you find people are, are either tweeting at you or posting on your Facebook wall, responding to your 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 posts via maybe a friend of theirs that shared it? How do you triage and react to the people who may be pro-pink and loving the KitchenAid mixer that they just bought? You know... Or do you even respond at all? We do, we for do, the we win. do. We do, we do, we do. We respond to ev- pretty much every single email that comes in here. There's a wonderful, amazingly talented woman who um, runs our information and referral um, resource called Zoe, named Zoe, and she she answers every email. And her, you know, th- th- this... <laughs> This is not about alienating people or, you know, I, I, we're all for pissing people off, Absolutely. but it's, yeah. worth, it's worth pissing the right people off. Right. Exactly. And, Equal opportunity offenders. Yeah, you know, and, <laughs> yeah, that's right. and, and the most important thing about this is that we get people engaging with us and we get people talking to us. So even an angry email or an outraged email or a pissed off, unsubscribe me, I never want to hear from you right, guys right. again how did email. You get, how did you get my email? Yes, <laughs> is an engagement. And so what we will do, what Zoe does, if I'm not going to say we, you know, sometimes I get, I get called in to just help construct an argument or think about something, but for the most part, Zoe constructs these very personally crafted you know, emails to people, engaging them on exactly the questions and the issues that they have and the things that they're taking issue with. And so, you know, and it'll often be just, it, it's just about a different vantage point or a different perspective on, um, did you know, you know, the reason that we don't think, a, you know, a pink Kenwood mixer is going to do it is because, it, you know, we could sell six billion Kenwood mixers and how would that actually change how many women get diagnosed over the next year with breast cancer. Now, okay, that money is going to research. Research in what? Research into, um, you know, something that we've been working on for the last 40 years that has... Smoking causes cancer. Yeah. I mean, so it's it's engaging people on that level of just peeling back the layers and having people just just realize that we, we cannot take for granted that when a large organization is asking for our money in support of something, that they actually know any more than the rest of us what they're doing. And so when they say, we're looking into research, we, you know, we have a research program, if that research is not 
research right. that's actually independently funded. It, it could be social but, media research. Right. Well, yeah, or, or if it's funded by Which you know, general, like general Electric looking into how do we more efficiently produce mammograms that we know aren't going to give any more you know, um, giving us any more min- information about how to prevent breast cancer than the current ones, and the, you know, then, then it's a waste of research. So it, it's, it's all about engaging people in the conversation and meeting them where they're at. And, you know, we lose some, and we win a hell of a lot over. Zoe wins more than she loses. Zoe wins. No, and honestly, the, the, the posts on your Facebook page are, uh, you know, the original content are very engaging they have a lot. They drive a lot of uh, action. And, I'm seeing and a lot of parallels between our organizations. No, no, we ha- we we have very very engaged communities. We are edgy and snarky. We do poke mm-hmm. a stick at the system. We can show meaningful results as a result of our snarkiness and stick pokingness. Yeah. But mm-hmm. and, and and you know there was always a challenge to sort of recognize that you're going to be a, a a sore point for several people, but you're not out there to please everybody. You're there to challenge the status Absolutely. quo. Absolutely. And our position has always been: if we don't say it, no one else will. Exactly. And so, you know, every morning we meet for a painful 45 minutes. Annie's laughing, but it's a painful 45 minutes. And it's us, we have a social media meeting every single morning. And we sit there, you know, going through what's come up, what needs to come up, what we're going to talk about, what we're not going to talk about. And, you know, based on both responses and what we, you know, anticipated responses, what we think people want to hear about, what we think people really don't want to hear about, but need to hear about. And they'll tell you. And it's, that's why it's actually sad that Caitlin's not here, because Caitlin is our social media Facebook guru, and she would love to have heard your comments on just um, the successes that you're seeing there, because Well, we I can agree. make her feel guilty for being sick. <laughs> <laughs> so I want, I want to dedicate the next five or ten minutes to, to the issues of pinkwashing and the Think Before You Pink campaign, because what we're really talking about is the corporate abuse of consumer goodwill. Yeah. And... You know, in your efforts for the the um, you know sort of the uh, the legislative campaigns, and not to specifically cherry pick against one corporation or another, do you think the corporate culture is getting smarter to the dumbing down of the consumer, or do you think that a person is smart, people are stupid, and people just want to try to do the right thing, and this is what just seems to make sense, and that companies are taking advantage of it? Yeah, I think. This is Annie. I think the latter. I think that people aren't generally stupid. I think that we have, you know, people people care and people want to end breast cancer. So many people are affected. And I think what we have is, you know, mis, miseducation and, and corporations just sending us all a little bit astray by by putting out so many products that are that are misleading and that aren't actually helping to address or end the disease the way they're marketed to sound like they might be. And and money talks, right? Mm-hmm. If you if you can grab hold of the megaphone and constantly tell people one thing, it's the same message again and again and again and again, people start to believe it. And it's not that they're stupid because I, I I absolutely agree with Annie. People are very savvy. Consumers are very savvy. But there's also, you know, a, a cultural trend towards cause marketing. What we did see, though, this year, what we thought was quite interesting and maybe, you know, wonderful and something that we should take uh, take credit for is that there are actually, of the really, really obviously terrible pinkwashing cases, we saw far fewer of them this year, especially leading up to Breast Cancer Awareness Month. And there are 
definitely some examples of pinkwashing that we could call out, but more, I think more importantly, zooming out in perspective, I think that people are starting to get that uh, that all of this pink crap isn't necessarily solving breast cancer. I think that people, especially examples like YoPlay or KFC selling... Five-hour energy. Five-hour energy has this insanely obnoxious <laughs> commercial on television now. Do say I haven't seen it. Yeah, you, it's on YouTube. Just look for the five-hour energy pink commercial. Really? Yeah. Well, so there's there's definitely some pretty obnoxious ones still out there. Yeah. We in our estimation, it, 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 it seems like there's less. fewer, and we we feel great about that, and we take some credit for that. You know, we've done we've worked on pink washing for a lot of years. And this was, you know, this was a this was a pretty much seismic year, right? I mean, you know, Komen, bless them, had their fabulous, you know, um, decision to try and pull funding from Planned Parenthood and then give them back funding and and make some, you know, not so great decisions around that. And and I think that was a big shaking of the rug for under from under people, where a people started, you know, women started to make this connection between cause marketing. Marketing to women, taking taking women consumers for granted, and women's health, and things like you know connections between breast cancer, Planned Parenthood, women's health, what women need, women's choices, and you know there was there was a lot of fallout from that. You know, add to that this great film from the um, the National Canadian Film Board called Pink Ribbons Inc. that is a, you know a, a look at what 30 years of you know pink cause marketing has actually done. You know, add to that 10 years of Think Before You Pink campaigns and the fact that we now, you know, frequently hear, you know, in the, or, and see in the national media terms like pink washing and Think Before You Pink thrown around as, as just, you know, common, commonplace phrases. That this is definitely, you know, catching on. And, and I think it's, it's re- people are really starting to, to question and wonder what the hell's going on. Right, Absolutely. So. I had a question uh, which you you pretty much answered in that you were saying that I was going to ask you whether you think we're in an upswing or a downturn downswing for for the the breast cancer pink campaigns that are seemingly never ending. You, you did mention that it's going down. I don't know if you were listening earlier in the show. I had mentioned that I was in uh, London this past weekend at a Siemens Turn Your City Pink event, which you may or may not have heard of. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and part of the part of the reason we went out there, it was myself and a group, you know, several individuals representing other groups. Some of them were breast cancer bloggers, survivors. Some of them were representing other organizations. And one of the things that we told them was that you're sort of late to the game in the breast cancer pink movement, but I'm wondering if the international community doesn't have it as bad necessarily as we do with the pink washing. Yeah, that's really interesting. You know, bless bless Britain's little heart, but they always get a little they always get to the game just a little bit late, don't they? Bless them. Um you know, I I have it seems like this year is worse than others. I mean, I have some fabulous pictures of London um the Tower of London lit up and Buckingham Palace lit up pink and and it does seem, but you know, it's interesting because, you know, you know, thanks to Ambassador Brinker, right? Um, pink, you know, this is a global initiative to take pink international, and the first way that it's often moved into, you know, other countries is as a way to, you know, and, and that, tr- that the trade 
trade agreements are initially kind of entered into and, and the first the first conversations had is around here look this is what we can do for your country we you know there's this horrible thing called breast cancer and we can help you by you know making connections with your women and helping them educate themselves about breast cancer through you know wearing pink ribbons and getting mammograms and this is the case of even in countries that you know where where breast cancer is not yet a problem and the antidote is not about prevention and legislation to regulate the you know potential causes it's often about you know mammograms and screening as prevention you know and that's that that's both sad and deeply concerning so there there is definitely a global push i mean the world is getting pinker the us maybe maybe kind of waking up right but, we, um, we have about 50 shades of pink yeah 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 yeah. That's my new band. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, we got There's about so two many min- things I could say about that that I wear. <laughs> well, we got about two minutes left. I would really like, uh, you know, the website is breastcanceraction.org or bcaction.org. Mm-hmm. And uh, just in our closing, uh, just what can people do specifically? You know, the 2012 Mandate for Government Action, it's a really big deal. It's it's a much more global initiative than in the past. I think it's very aggressive and very very intelli- intelligently designed by your organization. What, what are what, what, just the average Joe on the street, what can they do tomorrow through this initiative? That's great. They can go on to, as you mentioned, bcaction.org. And people can take action and send the mandate to their elected officials, their Congress people, which is a fantastic first step. Uh, and then they can they can get on our email list and stay involved with Breast Cancer Action and take part of our upcoming work and campaigns. And since we don't accept any donations from uh, cancer-causing companies, we love anyone who can go to our website and donate because we are we're only as strong as our membership. Yeah, we do. We have great webinars. We have great fact sheets. We have great means for people to build within their own community kind of educational resources. So there's a, you know, you, you get a good bang for your buck, so to speak. Um, there's a lot that we offer um, both around activism and around education and general advocacy. Well, again, once again, four years, four times a charm. We'll have you back here next year. (laughs) Unless something epic happens and erupts in the spring, you'll always be on our show to be the angry breast cancer people. And it's always a pleasure. So, uh, Angie Wall, uh, Andy Sarter, thank you so much. My best to Caitlin and the crew. You guys rock. Take care. You do, too. Thanks so much. See you next year. Bye. Breast Cancer Action. A model nonprofit, a real model nonprofit. I think they're they're just great. I'm so I've been following them. They you know, it's hard to build a charity, but you gotta look at organizations that do it well the right way by still being edgy, maintaining their, their you know, you gotta piss people off intelligently the right way. Right. And it's like the Howard Stern line, you know, if half the people listen because they can't wait to hear what he says next, and half the people hate him but listen because they can't wait to hear what he says next. So it's kind of like people waiting for your third album. <laughs> <laughs> scribblings, duh. <laughs> My scribblings, no. Twa. Scribbling, I already have two. But not, but only one scribbling. Only you mean scribbling, scribblings episode two. Scribblings to the 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 scribbling. I don't know. My brain is melted. <laughs> from, the scribbling. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, this is a good show. Um, Annie, uh, any final thoughts? What do you think of the dialogue? Uh, well. The two women were just on were very, very good. It's good to 
hear how much good they're doing, especially with the YoPlay campaign. I had no idea about that, so that's very eye-opening. Um, it is very interesting just being on the other side of Breast Cancer Awareness right. Month. There's a lot of products also which can be offensive, yes. um, such as pink bras. Um, you know, it's not just about lingerie and about breasts. It's, uh, you know, women who are affected by breast cancer may not be able to purchase something like that. So, right. you know, I wish companies would also take certain things, something that's very women are very sensitive about who have been affected by breast cancer. You might want to think about the people who are dealing with this and have dealt with it, how your product and putting your the breast cancer pink label on it affects them and how it makes them feel. Right. How to, you know... And it's just uh, one one last thing is I know that some people do get upset about all of the attention that uh, October gets and, you know, all the attention and money that breast cancer awareness gets. And people do need to keep this in mind that one in eight women will get breast cancer. And uh, it clearly knows no age. I've met people who are 21 and 25 and 70 who have had breast cancer. It affects people across the, you know, across all the spectrum. So, People should also keep that in mind that it is so, unfortunately, it is so common. Um, there is no cure. And, uh, you know, to keep donating. And sometimes it's better off just write a check for $25 or go online and right. send 25 bucks to a company or not a company but a charity which is reputable. And that will go a lot further than buying, you know, a pink T-shirt or a pink mix master. Well exactly. Said. Well said. All right. Well, this concludes our broadcast day. I would like to uh, thank our guests, and uh, here we go with our closing sequence. Prepare to activate. Uh, I hear there's rumors on the uh, internets. You ever seen a grown man naked? And so, to all of you, a fond farewell. Hooray, I'm helping. You are a meathead. Oh, Magoo, <laughs> you've done it again. That was so terrible, I think you gave me cancer. All right, Matthew, next yeah. week's show. Chronobiology. Well, you missed the other thing. What other thing? The other thing is, okay, folks, that's tonight's show, our 242nd broadcast. We hope you had as much fun as we did poking a stick at Stupid Cancer. I'd like to thank our in-studio guests, Annie Goodman, the lovely Annie Goodman. Thank you. Matt Beckett, Taman Kim, and Kenny's friend from Germany. Okay. <laughs> Stephen. Waving, waving from the back, Stefan. Good, good, good. All right, more Tierney. Angie Wall, Andy Starter, and the sick, but we miss her, Kate Carmody from Breast Cancer Action. Kenny. All right, Matthew. Yes, now, now, next week's show, Chronobiology. In the Survivor Spotlight, we have Lorna Brunel, young adult survivor of thyroid cancer and author of Dirty Bombshell. Sounds interesting. We have Professor Donald McEachran. 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 Ph.D., School of Biomedical Engineering, Science and Health Systems at Drexel University. And Melissa Malice, Ph.D. A lot of Ph.D.s next week. Smart show. Senior Science Advisor, DBNA, President and Chief Scientist at M3 Alertness Management, LLC. It's going to be a geeky, sciencey show, but it's going to be awesome. It's going to be great. All right, folks, if you missed our past shows, download them all for free on iTunes at iTunes.stupidcancer.org or check out the archives anytime at stupidcancershow.org. Remember, folks, if it ain't stupid, it ain't cancer. Live from the chemo deck on behalf of Kenny Kane and myself and our whole team here at the Stupid Cancer Show. Have a great week, and we'll see you back here next Monday live at 7 p.m. Have a good week, everybody.